Welcome, everyone. We imagine mobility podcast series here with Alan Badewi. He's a supervisor on the vehicle engineering team here at AVL Mobility Technologies. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. What does vehicle engineering mean? I mean, you're not designing the whole vehicle. You're not designing everything. It's a term I hear oftentimes, even in our customs, and I always have to ask, what does it mean? So tell our listeners and viewers here, what does vehicle engineering with, mean with, or for you, of what you're doing? Sure. So um, I think there's a, a couple different sort of branches of vehicle engineering that we do. Uh, so from the high level, uh, vehicle benchmarking, that's a major one. So oftentimes customers come to us and they want to understand something about a vehicle that they don't make. Oftentimes, even for their own vehicles, to be honest, um, because there's certain things that we have the capabilities or the capacity to do that maybe even OEMs don't. Uh, so benchmarking is a big one, which is essentially fingerprinting of a vehicle. So you want to find out everything about it. We'll put lots of sensors on it, um, all different types of test maneuvers, and we want to get an overall kind of picture of the whole vehicle. Mm. Um, another thing in vehicle engineering would be integration projects that we do. So, um, and that's a big one. Uh, oftentimes, larger scale vehicles, uh, trucks is pretty common. Um, and we'll either be integrating a new component or changing the architecture of a vehicle, things like that. Um, so some products that I've worked on in the past was essentially converting trucks or buses from either gasoline to electric or uh, some type of hybridization, um, fuel cell stuff with hydrogen is getting really popular now too. Uh -huh. So that's a big one. Then I would say the third section of vehicle engineering is much more broad and all encompassing, which is really they come and a customer comes to you and says, I have some kind of problem or I want to just figure out something. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the whole thing of a vehicle or any specific test necessarily. It could just be a certain use case maybe that they want to understand more about, or uh, if a, another vehicle has an interesting component that they want to understand more about. All of those things I would say would fall into the very general vehicle engineering and sort of the um, the consulting services that uh -huh. we do within in the vehicle uh -huh. engineering uh -huh. space, yeah. So homologation then would be part of vehicle engineering. Yeah, so homologation would fall into usually the benchmarking step of things. Um, so often for our pro programs, we'll uh, test lots of stuff. So on-road testing and on the dyno, when we get to the dyno portions, that's where we do a lot of the homologation. And especially in recent years with um, the rise in BEVs and so many more BEVs that people mm -hmm. are interested in, um, learning that new process essentially and everything that goes into, you know, how do you get that range number on electric vehicle, things like that. Um, that's a lot of the homologation process. And so whether we do the full homologation and go all the way to the EPA for a customer, that's one option. The other option is uh, just essentially testing other vehicles and seeing, does that match what the EPA says it does? Oh, does it match what the manufacturer says it does? So oh, wow. some of it is sort of uh, uh, just confirming what's out there. And then the other side of it is actually helping uh, BEV manufacturers, especially the startups and things like that, to actually certify their cars, take them through the entire process. Um, multiple cycles of testing and uh, full discharges and recharges, all that kind of stuff. So, so we have some technologies at AVL where we help with range extension. You just mentioned it, right? So somebody currently can drive, let's say, 300 miles on a full charge. They say, we would love to push you to 350. Can you elaborate a little bit what we do? I know there's energy management. It's uh, sometimes a a subsystem focus, sometimes we're told, hey, you can make changes to the complete system, which may make it a little easier, right? Different consumers can be scaled down or depending on when they need to be active or not, turn them on, turn them off as the more complexity you want, 
the more extensive it gets, but potentially also the more beneficial as it relates to range in this case. Right. But tell me a little bit, what, what do we do in this space? Again, when somebody comes and says, you know, if we could get this to 350, my boss would be happy, the consumers would be more happy and all that. So speak a little bit about that. Yeah, so actually I, I recently did a program that was that very same thing um, where essentially the car was brought to us to get ready for this homologation process. And they had a target of greater range than what they were able to achieve initially. Um, a lot of times I will admit those targets tend to be fairly arbitrary. Uh, it's always looking for a number. Um, so it's, it's kind of better to come about from the opposite approach and start to maybe tweak things on the bottom end in, uh, in calibration and then sort of see where you can get. But of course, you know, we're always trying to get the most out of it. But from our perspective, there's kind of two different um, paths that you could take with this sort of, I guess I would consider optimization. And it really depends on what stage the manufacturer is in their process, if you can go a hardware route or a software route, uh, right? So from hardware, all kinds of things, obviously a bigger battery gets you more range. That's one option, right? But obviously- That's the easy one. Yeah, right, the easy one <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Um, but oftentimes uh, other hardware components that could be changed, a lot of it ends up being in the, um, in the, the HVAC systems and the thermal conditioning and things like that. So pumps and um, heaters and things like that. How much are you heating the battery, conditioning it? How much are you heating up the motors? How much flow are you putting through everything? So like you said, it was kind of optimizing the consumers. And the other thing is that from that perspective, um, so you want to optimize, a, lot, a big way that you can get your sticker number up essentially is to optimize your uh, testing in extreme temperatures. So um if i can i'll actually hop into a little bit of the homologation process but so essentially especially for bevs there's a two cycle and a five cycle process mm -hmm. so the two cycle you go you run your highway and your city cycles uh and you do a full depletion in that whole process so essentially you get your efficiency information from the cycles and you get your full depletion energy from the battery so that gives you technically everything you need for a sticker uh for the for the label you have your range and you have your efficiency now when you get those numbers, the EPA essentially, and this dates back to all of ICE uh, calculations as well. So that's the interesting thing is that not really a lot has changed from uh -huh. the actual calculation perspective going from ICE to BEV. A um, couple new processes, but it's interesting when you go through all the papers, most of the calculations are just screenshots from the old stuff from ICE. So it's it's really, we have it it's just replacing CO2 per uh, grams per mile or something like that or, or MPG with now kilowatt hours mm -hmm. per 100 miles, something like that. So, um, so yeah, you get your two cycle data and now, okay, you've got a range and you got efficiency. Now what the EPA says at that point is, well, we know that you're not going to get that range all the time. So what we'll do is we'll give you a 30% reduction in everything, your range, your efficiency, all of that. Okay. 30% down. So it's called the 0.7 factor. Now, as a manufacturer, you might say, well, I don't like how much it brought that down. I want to prove to the EPA that my car is better than what you're saying it is. So now we enter the five cycle testing. So that breaks it down into, again, you do your city highway, plus you do an aggressive cycle, and those are all at your normal ambient temperatures, you would say with no HVAC. But then you do the two uh, extreme temperature tests, essentially, which would be SCO3, which you're up at 95 degrees Fahrenheit, and you have solar loading coming down, and you're running the AC. So you get to see all of the efficiency effect from that. And then you also do uh, a cold depletion test, which is essentially the city cycle repeated over and over again, and you're running, it's at um, minus seven degrees Fahrenheit, and you're running the heat during that one as well. So now you kind of get your bookends, mm -hmm. and uh, based on that, 
you put all of these calculations back in and that those five cycle numbers compared to the two cycle numbers actually gets you a new factor. So the interesting thing and the challenge with some of the customers and you even see it in um, production vehicles now is you might do all of that testing and then you come back and your factor is worse than 0.7. It's 0.69 <laughs> or 0.68, and, right? And so uh, in the end, and I've seen also even manufacturers, OEMs, that you go and look for the data and they only post two cycle because they either one the all of the extra effort that went into getting the five cycle wasn't worth it to them. They didn't care about the range number so much. Yeah. Examples like uh, the Porsche Cayenne, the EV that they did, um, they never even did the five cycle stuff. And maybe it was better, maybe it was worse, but also they probably don't care much about the label, right? It's a performance mm -hmm. car. So essentially, in the end, the manufacturer, I think, often will try the five cycle and then see where they are, right? So in the program that I did recently, we tried the five cycle and it was that very same situation. So the factor came out to like 0.68, I think. And so then we went back and essentially tried to make all these improvements on thermal, HVAC, all that kind of stuff, uh, trying to yeah decrease the pumps, uh, the pump speed, how much they were running, balance out the temperatures a little bit more. There was a big opportunity that we could have made a very large change hardware-based if they rerouted maybe, I think it was uh, the cooler reservoirs and did some different routing essentially from a hardware perspective. Mm -hmm. But even then, that was much less hardware, but still too late in the game to make that change. Right. But we can really, you can really make the, the biggest changes with hardware. And we have a lot of good thermal experts, which I think is what is really going to be driving the getting every last mile out of these vehicles mm -hmm. in the future is the understanding of, of thermal systems and, and, and how they all kind of play with each other. Because you've got battery cooling, uh, you've got your all of your electronics and motor cooling. Sometimes you'll also have an additional one for HVAC control, things like mm -hmm. that. So you're getting to lots of these different cooling loops, all with T's and thermostats and controlled valves and all kinds of stuff. So it's it's a it's a pretty intense science. So um, so yeah, the big thing was we wanted to make some of those changes. We couldn't from a hardware perspective, so we ended up doing a lot of software engineering. And through all of that, we did all of our five cycle testing and made calibration improvements along the way. And then essentially at the end, we had made a huge improvement. I think it was up like ten or ten percent maybe from the range that they had before, but still the factor was below 0.7. So in the end, it's like you you can do a lot from the from the uh, no. calibration side, but sometimes you are hardware limited. No. So and that's what it's like the you know, I think what we're learning in the industry is that being thermally efficient as a vehicle, especially as an electric vehicle, is not a trivial task no. at all. Um, there was a recent uh, study or at least an article that I saw where they did a big survey of all the EVs in the market, and they found on average you were losing 50% of your range in the winter on average. No. No. So. That is a huge thing, and I think that making that more efficient is, like I said, yeah, it's not trivial. It's not a very easy task, and a lot of people might think it is. Um, so, but surrounding the whole point seven factor thing, I, I think some of that also might change in the years coming. It's a very legacy factor, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Do you think you made an interesting point that people think it's easy? Yeah. Is is it easy because we're 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 screaming right now so loud to say, oh, software defined vehicle? I give you an update every day, Alan, and you're driving a new vehicle every other day. Yeah. Are we are we suddenly getting to a point where we give the consumer or even us engineers? the impression that everything's easy because it's just software, right? I mean, I've been in this space now 25 years, hardware and software from the beginning, and there was always the battle between the software engineer and the hardware engineer, right? The hardware engineer said, you dang software don't work. And uh, and the software engineer would say, no, your, your, your hardware is wrong. And then it was always, well, it's just software, just make an update, who cares? I'm not gonna change my hardware. So we're now at a stage where you're saying it's easier to make hardware changes because really software as it comes to the cooling loop or the thermal management is really, at least not yet, the dominant 
technology used or help me a little bit because I think there's, there's an interesting point there. Yeah, I think the, the software side is still really, really critical and important. Sure. And again, even with new hardware, right, you can still leave a ton on the table if you don't optimize right that from software, the software yeah. perspective, right? Yeah. But um, for sure, the hardware changes, I think, push the needle more. It's like, and, if you, and, and, and like you said in the beginning, right, I want 50 more miles. So if that's the demand and everyone starts to maybe think that 50 miles is no big deal, right? Just make a couple of changes. It's, a couple it's, of software changes. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I, and maybe the misconception is that, especially with electric vehicles now, right, is that because everything, because it's an electric vehicle and has more software in there, that everything can just magically be changed that way. But that's really not how it is. And um, a lot of the times too, right, so you can optimize all the things that you have control strategies over. So that's mainly ends up being the thermal stuff and your 12-volt consumers and things like that and different things you can do there. But as far as like motor efficiencies and things like that, that's not something we're changing with basic control strategies, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to come back more to uh, inverter technology, e-motor technology, the pairing of those two, um, and, and how you're kind of doing it, I think, which that, as I would say, yeah, a little bit probably more from a hardware perspective. Yeah, too. a little yeah. more hardware driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, to get the big, the big uh, range increases that I think some companies maybe falsely think it's possible yeah. is really much more of a hardware thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. But again, like I said, all of this requires intense software optimization and you know, we could put something really big in there and get your number, but really my, my idea is like the goal should be to optimize whatever hardware you have yeah. in there essentially. Yeah. How many people play with SOX algorithms? I'm playing meaning they realize, ah, oh, we're calculating it too conservative or we're not allowing enough energy to come out. And I hear a lot of times from, like, say, Tesla, I get another update, and then suddenly I get either more or less, right? And people mm -hmm. complain one way or the other. Um, I think they do most of the updates, what I'm hearing for, from that regard. So so how much is there then? Again, not thermal management, mm -hmm. but more, again, going back to the range. How much is there when people say, okay, now we have data for six months. Maybe we use AI now to realize we're really not calculating the right way. There's really a whole lot more I can get out of these individual cells that are out of my existing pack. I can get you 75 more miles mm -hmm. than 50. How much is that? How much do you see that? Yeah, that's it's an interesting topic. Um, we haven't worked directly, or at least I haven't worked directly, seeing a manufacturer making those changes. But in the benchmarking, we do see that the usable battery energy changes over time, oh. for sure. And mm -hmm. um, and I think, like you said, yeah, using AI tools and being able to, I, I think the, the, the big limitation in all of, this stuff with optimizing uh, these electric vehicles is, yeah, what to do with big data, right? Mm. Huge amounts of data that even some of the best tools, it's hard to maybe pick out the little nuances that you're trying to find. But mm -hmm. I think when we get, yeah, more into these AI tools, we're going to be, be able to crunch massive amounts of data. And Tesla does a good job at this, right? Because they they crowdsource so much from all their yep. vehicles, right? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. so they can look at, you know, a million, two million miles worth of data and say, okay, well, we have this SOC limit and the batteries like aren't really degrading. So maybe we can widen that a little bit, yeah. right? So now when you have your zero to a hundred on, on the screen, really the battery goes probably like 5% lower and 5% higher. And it's, it's shifting that usable range up and down. Can you drain out more? Can you put in more of that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and the other interesting thing is that uh, SOC, that, that value or state of charge is such a fluid number in most vehicles too, mm -hmm. um, because it's constantly being re recalculated right. essentially. Yeah, yeah based yeah. on you know resistance checks and temperature and, and your voltage at the Aging time. Aging and whatever else. Exactly. So stuff. a lot of people have this misconception too that SOC is like a finite number yeah. or a very, or a very um, I would say like a concrete number that you could like rely on. Like 75% today was the same as 75% tomorrow. And mm -hmm. that is really just not the case. Yeah. yeah, it's very much recalculated all the time.
when you talked about how can you improve the thermal management, which then hopefully gives you, which gives you more range, hopefully the range more that the additional range you want. Mm-hmm. How much does simulation play in this? How much how much do we use simulation tools nowadays? Yeah, so we use simulation quite a bit, and it kind of depends on the customer. But we're trying to get into we we're trying to have our customers see the value in that more. Uh-huh. So more often, basically, um, and we did do that for for some of this last project is essentially if you can get the customer to maybe give us a good uh, simulation, some type of model of some of their uh, hardware and their kind of vehicle, and then we can play with a lot of the um, calibration changes or even like small component changes on our end and and get to maybe the answer they want quicker or at least uh, cost less essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we're we moving towards the space and, and just really trying to get customers more and more on, bar- on board with it is that let's do a lot of simulation work up front and then let's take, or maybe like a little bit of real work to get all the inputs we need. Sure. Let's do the bulk of it in simulation and then let's come back here to verify in the real world, right? It's mm-hmm. never gonna be exactly the same, but that's I think how you skip a lot of the physical um, work that has to get done that could be rather costly. Uh, so yeah, we're definitely trying to move more into that space, and we have a lot of good um, talent in the in the the modeling space. Yeah. So that's something that we're trying to offer more and more, and kind of get people to come on board with. Because especially with um, with the EVs now, so much of it is like you can really get good simulation model for you know kind of like a e motor transactional package, and then maybe maybe we go and do component testing on another vehicle and understand what their e-motor package is like. And then the customer over here says, well, what would it be like if we put theirs into ours? Like, you know, will that get us closer? Sure. They're maybe using a newer technology. And the OEM is not necessarily going to go in and develop all that technology first, right? You want to see what is it going to be like for your vehicle? Is this a worthy path for us to travel down, Mm -hmm. essentially? So I think that, yeah, the simulation aspect, which is getting more and more popular, it can really make everybody more efficient and effective because you're doing a lot more... I guess planning and direction uh, setting upfront, and maybe not wasting as many efforts down oh, the line where it's like, ah, oh, that wasn't very fruitful. So why yeah, did we go down that route yeah. in the beginning? So interesting. In your opinion, what's people are into thermal management? Our customer base, let's say, right? Which all mobility, anything from on the ground, in the air, and in space, soon too. What are people mostly missing? Is it they're missing that, no, it's not software. Software will not fix it. There's a major hardware component you got to address first if you want to get more efficient. Is it, no, you could do a lot of software. Is it you missed the fact that you're calculating your SOX algorithms wrong to conservative? What is it in your opinion? So I think actually a lot of it does come down to hardware and at least how you route your thermal systems. Routing, I think okay. it's critical. Yeah, yeah routing. Okay, Essentially, no. how are you connecting all these loops together how um, how do the different loops have to share coolant, right? Because the the whole you have these really advanced thermal systems, but the the idea in the end really is to be able to control each sub loop as their own temperature, right? You want this for HVAC, so I'm you know bring the heat in. This is what I get. Mm-hmm. I want to control my motors to this temperature. I want to control my battery to this very specific temperature. Maybe I want to preheat my battery, but now my motor, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's making the early decisions on how to route everything and link them together, where you share reservoirs, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's, it's I think, a healthy. And then a lot of times when we get to it, like even if that all that is good, it's that everything is just not optimized yet, which is really takes take some of the physical testing and then say, like, OK, well, can we reduce this flow rate a little bit? And, and maybe that cuts down our consumers. Mm-hmm. But what often I think comes up is that 
like we said, right? Being thermally efficient is not easy. It's not trivial. Um, We're all learning as an industry, I assume. Still, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so when you have when you have thermal experts that can really look at it, the first thing that they start saying is they come in with essentially hardware changes. Like, mm. oh, okay, so now when you're running this, your e motor is heating up, but it's causing your battery heat up, but you didn't want it to. But it's because that's after this in the loop, and we don't have any intermediary to stop that. Mm -hmm. So that I think is because then it's also harder to like optimize really finitely and squeeze every last bit because you're always going to have to make a compromise mm -hmm. with like this other loop or something like yeah. that. So I think, yeah, a lot of it comes down to how you route it, how you, how you position the loops, where you put your components in line, things of that nature, I think have a big difference. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Last question. Yeah. What do you see in homologation, thermal management, the stuff that you're working on? Pick one of the topics you're working on, many of them, mm -hmm. I know, that you're going to see the biggest change over the next five years, technology-wise, purely technology-wise, or right. maybe what the customers want in a vehicle, right? Sure, sure. Either going back to old technology because it's better, more reliable, more efficient, whatever, or no, scrap all this old stuff. The next generation EV that we're doing is going to use this technology. What do you see over the next five years? Maybe one or two points that, that you see. Sure. So the big one that everyone is very interested in is, and it's it sort of plays into the thermal part, but again, it's for like getting your, your overall efficiency better, but it's the 12 volt management. It's actually mm -hmm. became much bigger than I ever expected it to be. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, You think that EVs, right? So not everything is 12 volt or everything is electric. So it just makes it easier, but really it's, because you have a battery and everyone looks at your range in a way that they never looked at a gas tank before, right? No one ever cares how big is your gas yeah, tank, yeah. How, yeah. how far do you get it? <laughs> so we've added in a whole yeah. new aspect uh, yeah. to how consumers view everything, how the EPA moves it, but where it kind of came out of nowhere, right? It's like no one ever cared how much you could fit into the car. So now... Because I think we had gas stations first before we had cars, and now we have cars first before we have infrastructure. Right, we don't Maybe have the infrastructure, know. right? Yeah. And it's like... And, and because it takes more time, right? So I think the big thing, I think a big change that will change, I think a lot of how people think about this and think about range is, right? So uh, 12 volt management has become extremely important. So we're always trying to take down those consumers. Now everyone's looking at your 12 volt consumers with uh, under a microscope mm -hmm. because now it's like, well, it doesn't change your efficiency that much, but over a 400 mile battery, now that can get you that extra 10 miles, 20 miles, yeah, something like now that, right? 50 milliamp more draw matters right, suddenly. Right, right. Uh, who cares? Exactly. Yeah. It never really mattered as much. Uh, everything in the ice world from the 12 volt perspective, I felt was much more forgiving, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and you didn't see those same. And again, we didn't, you weren't worrying about the range. Uh -huh. The other thing that I think is going to really change how people think about this will be battery technology and power density. Uh -huh. Right? Once we move past more of because unfortunately right now today like essentially unless i'm driving a tesla and i know that there's going to be a supercharger everywhere i have range anxiety in every car you essentially get into no no matter what it is and i i almost thought that it wasn't going to be like that if the ranges were big enough and there's enough charges around but i still find myself thinking about it and i know other people do too mm -hmm. so um so until we get to a point where range anxiety is something that we're not thinking about so much i think everyone's always going to be hyper focused on this but once you get power it's all about power density right so if we can fit a lot more energy into a much smaller space, suddenly hypermiling out of this to get the last, I don't think it's going to be nearly as critical. Uh, nearly so now as critical. you say now the energy management goes up and once we have more capacity again, maybe right. it becomes less important. Yeah. Again. Once that, capacity is as easy to come by as putting a bigger gas tank in, yeah, right? Yeah. We're not so yeah. limited on yeah, it. Yeah. Then suddenly no one's like the range, people care less about the range, right? right. Batteries get get more power dense, your infrastructure goes up, suddenly all of the, like, I, I truly believe that the range number will become less and less important over time. Is range still, I don't want to ask another question. No, is, 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 is range today more important still 
as it was, in my opinion, two or three years ago for EVs than charging time is? Because I've heard many people now talk about it's really not about range anymore. It's about charging time. But I don't know if that's like, you know, somebody starting this because they want us to focus on, well, focus on charge time. Look how great we are and forget about range anxiety because, yeah, I know it's a chicken and the egg and we, we don't really own the gas stations or the right. charging. So I don't know. In your opinion, that deals with it all the time. Are, your, are our customers, your customers, more concerned about how fast they can charge a battery or still more concerned about addressing the, their range anxiety? Because they're two different things, mm -hmm. right? No, I think I think the range is still the bigger still, factor okay. right now, yep. um, and especially because even if and that's the problem is even if my charge times were faster, you still need to have them everywhere, uh -huh. and it's still got to be, and, and it still has to yeah it has to be within reach, and it still has to be uh, quick enough for it to be like usable, right? No, so, yeah. and I think that as far as like charge rates and your C one rates, how fast you can charge your battery, I think that also will come with better battery technology. Yeah, so sure. I think our ranges will end up going up and the speed will, will, will decrease or the speed will increase as increase, well. Yep. And we'll kind of, we'll get to that point. And I think that, that right now the range is still the main focus because our right. Everyone's trying to work with what they can. So our C one, our charge rates really just aren't there yet to be super fast. And the battery technology just isn't quite there to be super dense. So everyone does everything they can to cut down all these other consumers just to get the most out of this yeah. because we don't have the infrastructure and we still don't quite have the unlimited range in your mind, sure. right? Where you don't, you're not worried about going no. on this trip or something. So until those aspects, I think until the battery technology kind of changes a little bit, then it's always going to be hyper-focused on getting the most out of, out of what you can. Because yeah, and I'd also heard a couple things now that I think Elon Musk is working with the government to essentially make Tesla superchargers now open that they'll charge other vehicles as well. So, and that could be a huge game changer, right? Because if the superchargers are everywhere, he built that infrastructure. Yeah. And when I have, when I'm driving around my Tesla, I don't feel range anxiety because my car is constantly telling me where a supercharger is. If I'm even getting close to it, it's going to be letting me know, right? So, um, I think that could also be a big game changer, um, for vehicles that they're able to use those fast. Cause that's DC fast charging is a, is a uh, huge topic right uh, now. Uh, yeah. That a lot of customers are interested in, especially at temperature too. So, yeah. and that's the big thing, right? Is that temperature changes so much with our battery capacity, charging rates and all these things. So, um, and I think that the thermal aspect does come in a little bit to that as well, because with faster charge, uh, rates, we also will have to, that will be also somewhat of a product of improving our thermal efficiency during yeah. the fast charging, right? The battery gets so hot. So yeah. being able to manage that as well with new battery technology, I think is, that's going to be the thing that kind of, that kind of breaks us through the, uh, the little spot that we're in, I think, uh, with brain anxiety and those types yeah. of things yeah, and hyper-focusing on mileage. I, I do look forward to the day that mileage really isn't the thing that we're focused on because the rest of the technology has made it sort of irrelevant. Well, let's see if solid-state battery solves all our problems. There we go, we'll yeah. See. All right. Thank you very much, Alan. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend.